World of Work podcast with James and Jane. Hi, this is James. I wanted to let you know that as well as these podcasts, we deliver at least one free online seminar every month that you're welcome to attend wherever you are in the world. You can learn more about them and register for them via our website, www.worldofwork.io. That's www.worldofwork.io. Hello and welcome to episode six of the World of Work podcast. You've got James here. And Jane. So yeah, episode six, we're here already. Today we're going to speak to you about icebreakers, energizers and team building activities. So these are really, you know, all the things that you can do in your team as part of um, your efforts to bring people together or to get people motivated or to break the ice when people are sort of new at at an event. And as always, you can get in touch. Uh, you can come to our website, thewowpodcast.org, or you can follow us on Twitter. Oh, the- yeah, that was me. At <laughs> The Wow Podcast. <laughs> and uh, we'll be putting up some stuff afterwards, as always, so that you can have a look at some of the information that we've added. Yeah, that's right. The usual, usual slides will be up on the website pretty soon. Um, so how have you been doing? What's, what's new in the world of Jane well, this week? Well, you know, it's... Uh, been a busy week it's always a busy week these days always a busy week um, I found it really interesting doing our a uh, bit of uh, digging around the so- subject we're talking about today it's a kind of a different t- topic than what we talked about before so I ended up uh, going through quite a lot of my notes from previous sessions I've run and stuff like that which was a bit of a trip down memory lane yeah. and I was like oh my god what was I like yeah, when I very yeah. first started? It's funny, isn't it, when you start trying to run sessions like this, and you yeah. get nervous, don't you? If your first, it's your first icebreaker, or if it's a first big event with lots of people in a room. And... Yeah, and I think I think what was really interesting for me is a how much more prep I used to do, which yeah. is a sign to me that I need to go back to doing more prep because yeah. I think I've got lazy. Um, but also how nervous I was all the time about trying new stuff. Yeah, sweaty like, palms. I would be like, and... Yeah, sweaty palms. But also I'd have like plans of what was going to go wrong and what was I going to do if it was like dead silence in the room and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's been really interesting and also brought back some lovely memories about sessions that did go well, which is always nice. Yeah, that's a nice bit of reflection. That's good. Um, what, I about, a, what about you? What have you been up to? Yeah, I had a similar, similar nice sort of reflection going through some of the sessions I've done. But I also spent quite a few days this week going through some coaching training it was actually really good um and at some point we'll talk about coaching this was um it was it was some great training actually so i was really pleased about it um and we'll touch on that that later oh exciting yeah so uh what's the order today same as ever we've got uh definitions coming up first then a bit of research roundup then list of the week then stories from the keyboarder call face and then some final thoughts and top tips um and then we'll check it uh, check in and check out and we just had a little bing there a very exciting message has come in I better mute my computer yeah so shall I kick off with definitions sounds good uh, so I'm going to start with one that I love so we uh, normally in definitions we look at a few of the terms and technology uh, technology terminology mm-hmm. that uh, will be helpful to understand the group and I'm going to start off with my favourite so uh, there's a great definition. There's a couple of definitions around for energizer, but I particularly like uh, one of the ones I picked up, which is someone who imparts energy, vitality, and spirit to others. 
That's pretty good, isn't it? Right, it's really good, right? And I know we talk about Energizer as an activity rather than a person, but the idea that it's something that should bring energy and vitality into a room is quite ambitious, which I quite yeah. like. But vitality is a great word. It's really sort of life-affirming, and it's really what you want to get out of an Energizer, isn't it? Yeah, and I think we'll touch on we'll touch a little bit on how you can use Energizers and when to use Energizers later, but I think... Um, I think it's really important to remember that's what they're there for and that, you know, it's meant it's meant to feel good. Uh, so some other definitions. Uh, obviously, the episode we're talking about has got icebreakers, so it's useful to understand what that is. Um, something that's done or said to get that through the first difficulties or discomfort in starting a conversation or discussion. And for those of you, I don't know, I mostly work in Britain. I've done a bit of work abroad, but I... I'm absolutely convinced that Britain must be the worst place in the world to do icebreakers. <laughs> I think British people tend to need more help than other people. Uh, I think maybe maybe ice. some of our international colleagues can tell us if that's true. Yeah, or not. Or maybe yeah. I'm being massively unfair. Um, and then a couple of important ones uh, that I think people think they know what they mean, but I always think it's worth revisiting. One is around teams. So a team being a group of individuals working to work together towards uh, to achieve a goal. And I know, James, in your notes, you were saying that really important people understand a group isn't necessarily a team you yeah. only get a team when there is some kind of shared acknowledgement and coordinated effort yeah it's that commonality of purpose and working together i think yeah and uh i think thus that means that team building is about turning a group into a team for me yeah yeah i don't um, get that and usefully uh you've managed to dig out a definition that exactly affirms that uh, the action or process of causing a group of people to work together effectively as a team, especially by means of activities and events designed to increase motivation and promote cooperation. Uh, I would also add and increase productivity, which is... Yeah, that's a lot of a benefit and, and the driver for this. Yeah, so the easiest way to think about it is if you're running team building activities, they should be taking a group of people and turning them into a team yeah. or taking an existing team and making them a more effective team. And if they're not doing that, my caveat would be just question why you're running it. Yeah, yeah. So uh, one last uh, term, piece of terminology, which we'll probably use quite a lot, which is around facilitate or facilitation. Um, technical definition is often the designing and running of successful meetings, workshops, and organizational settings. Um, but actually, quite a lot of the time, I think it's social lubricant. Yeah. Um, it's about reading a room and understanding how uh, it ebbs and flows, how yeah. the energy's there and not, and being able to ensure that they get to where they want to be yeah. at the end of it. It's making it easier for other people. That's really, I mean, that's the way I see it. It's, you know, it's kind of make it easy for people to get along and look after them in a the room. And... Yeah, exactly. So uh, those are our definitions for today. Teams, team building, energizers, icebreakers, and also that concept of facilitation. Cool. And we'll get them up on the web um, so people can check them out there. And of course, you can find your own definitions everywhere, I'm sure. Um, should we do a bit of research roundup? Always. Always. Okay, so we've got uh, a few different things for you today. What we're going to do is we're going to deep dive a little bit into icebreakers, deep dive a little bit into team building, and deep dive a little bit into energizer. So you get a bit more um, information about each of these. But one thing I'd say at the start is, you know what, there's actually a huge amount of crossover. So we've split them out, right? So we've got icebreakers, team building, and energizers. But really, you can have an icebreaker that's energizing, or you can have a team building activity that's also a bit of an icebreaker. So, you know, it's, it's hard to drive too much of a wedge between the different categories, but it's right to think of them in different ways because they serve slightly different purposes. Um, in terms of where they come from, I'm, you know, my guess is that throughout history, people have always done things like this. Right? There's always been something that helps 
um, you know, new people get to know each other a little bit or that helps bring teams together. I think if you look at, you know, ancient militaries and things like that, I'm sure there were a huge amount of team building activities and, and lots of stuff in there. And to some extent, even just practicing doing stuff is a team building activity. Um, but when we think about it and we think about it sort of in the more work space, what we what we saw when we looked back is that it actually it was early in the 1900s that this stuff really started to appear, at least in Britain, um, and probably late 1800s, where it started to be a bit more of a thing in the US, which is where it came from. And it came out of, you know, a lot of large industrialist companies. We, we've spoken before, I think, about how a lot of companies got bigger around that time, um, particularly in, in the US. And as the companies get bigger and as you get more sort of office functions and things like that, that was more focused on bringing people together to be more productive and, and more effective at what they do. Um, and around that time, team building really started to, to come into place. Um, and then it made its way from the States uh, over to the UK. As with so many of the things right. we've talked about. Yeah, right? there's a lot of trend there, isn't there? Um, so yeah, so so that's kind of where it's come from. So let's, let's touch on these three different areas and we'll have a, a bit of a rattle through for you. So icebreakers. Okay, so, so what are icebreakers? We had a definition, but really icebreakers are kind of generally fairly small activities and they generally get people to interact with each other. So their whole purpose is to um, break down some of those social barriers and make it easier for people to speak to each other and just, you know, thaw out the room, really. You know, that sort of early lubrication of conversation um, is what they're, what they're about. So when are they useful? Icebreakers are generally really most useful when there's a new group. So if you're running maybe an away day or you're running a big set of meetings where people don't really know each other, then that's a particularly useful time for them. Um, but in truth, relationships tend to climb up a little bit with time away. So anytime you bring people together, even if they know each other a bit, it's often helpful to have a bit of an icebreaker just to get people in the mood. Yeah, I would also add just around uh, where it's an awkward topic. So yeah. one of the things that I've noticed is where um, existing groups who are really comfortable with each other but might be discussing something that's not traditionally in their work sphere particularly around reorganisation or around welfare or around mental health, it's a really useful thing to sort of start to warm the room up when people are nervous about talking about something. Yeah, oh, that's a good shout. That, that is good. Um, in terms of how they work, well, they tend to work by kind of removing a bit of tension, getting people to um, remember that they're kind of aligned to people there or learn that they're there. Um, with larger groups, they, they, they kind of get rid of a bit of that fear of rejection. Um, so you're with new people, you don't really know how they're going to act, you don't know if they're going to judge you, you don't know their background, you don't know that they're safe to be around at the base level. So icebreakers help break down some of that. And I think they're really effective when there's hierarchical situations as well, because particularly if you can look to someone who's hierarchically higher, yeah. to allow them to demonstrate their participating in full as an equal, suddenly you're in a situation Massively powerful, yeah. yeah. You know, leaders in icebreaking environments and situations can play a major part just by being a little bit funny or relaxed or, or really going along you're right it does break down that that hierarchy um so what kind of groups do they tend to work in well they're, they're most useful for groups where people need to come together and are going to be working together um so if you're as i said if you're running an, a new day a, an open session and you need the people to work together collaboratively throughout the day then it's great to have that uh, icebreaker at the beginning. Likewise, if you if you need people to share or tell stories about themselves or, or do anything that's a little bit more emotional um, and deeper delving into themselves, then they're particularly useful there as well. Um, 
what types of activities do they include? Well, they generally have a few things that are common. So generally, things like introductory icebreakers tend to get everyone to say a little bit about themselves, right? So you, so you want to have everyone have a chance to say something and to express themselves a little bit, but you also want everyone in the room to hear something about everybody else. So it, it helps bring everyone together and build some of those relationships. They often also touch on a little bit around how are you feeling? So that's a sort of checking in thing, which helps people say a little bit about how they're doing in, in the day in itself. Um, so I think that's the, the main types of activities that, that sit under the icebreaker side of things. Sometimes they're active, sometimes they're less active, um, but we'll share an example or two later. So that's icebreakers. And how do you feel about icebreakers, honestly, James? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think sometimes they can be done badly and feel contrived and uncomfortable and forced. And sometimes they can make people a little bit more nervous than they were even before they started. Yeah. Um, but I also think if they're done well, they can be really good things. And, and I, I do tend to use them. Yeah, it's interesting. So I always think of icebreakers as a necessary evil. Mm. Um, I have, have you ever tried to run a really decent workshop without an icebreaker? It is extraordinary. Yeah, you painful. know, I don't think I have. I think so, I've always done icebreakers. Yeah, so it's really interesting. I, I went through a period of really not liking them. Yeah. And I had a go at running workshops without icebreakers. And yeah, it's not good. And I don't know yeah. whether that was just because it's, it's what I know, but I found it extraordinarily difficult. So now I really, I, I, I use them in a very limited fashion but I accept that in order to quickly bypass that social yeah. period of familiarity, I have to use them. Yeah. Um, so I'm much more comfortable with them than I used to be. I used to, oh, I used to really hate them. Yeah, I've never hated them. I've, you know, I've seen them done badly, but I've always, I've always used them in everything. I've I think it's. I've always thought there must be a better way. And actually, what was really interesting going through my notes this week is there isn't. I've, I've looked on the web. I've looked yeah. at books. I've looked at um, resources from big companies and small companies. And I have as yet found out whether there is... Well, I haven't found anything better. So they're, they're not... I don't think there's some secret recipe yeah. to icebreakers, but I do think they're a, a requirement. Yeah. Just as we were chatting there and you were asking me what I thought about them, it popped into my mind that, you know, the, the name badge that you put on? I mean, in yeah. some ways, that's a, an icebreaker in itself, isn't it? That's a way of sharing a bit of information about yourself with a room so that it's easier for somebody to engage with you. And sometimes you see them with, like, you know, James, whatever my name is, and then... Maybe I happen to have a fact about me underneath it or a bit about my division or something like that. It's just, again, it's a way to share information to make it easier. You know, it's really funny you should talk about labels because you're right, they are the, the, the first point yeah. of icebreaking. And um, for those of you uh, listening that uh, maybe are less comfortable with someone staring at your chest region, yeah. you will know that that's probably part of where the frustration or the slight embarrassment factor of icebreakers comes because there's that awkward thing where you walk around a room and you suddenly realise you've pinned it to a place that no one wants to be staring. Yeah. You don't want them to stare and you're suddenly thinking, where else can I put it? Can I put it on my <laughs> yeah, waist? Yeah, yeah. Can I put it in my stomach? Can I put it... I'll put it in my neck. And you start wishing, wishing you owned a tie and that you'd worn it. Um, and, and for me, that just sums up some of that's the... That's so funny, yeah. Icebreakers generally this awkwardness that you're like oh, yeah. there's no good way to do this but yeah. let's just get it it's done. awkward you need to get over it though because if you're going to work well with people particularly on on any type of day if you're running a day where you need people to be really open and honest or it's at all emotional and you need people to share and maybe that's what it is maybe the whole point is if icebreakers are about getting over the social awkwardness maybe in themselves they have to be a bit awkward because they're speeding through that awkwardness yeah. in order to get you over the hurdle I yeah. Don't know. yeah i think there's something in that 
Anyway, that's uh, that's icebreakers. Next up, team building. So we'll we'll run through this. Um, so team building, as we said earlier, can can be helpful in bringing a group of people together so they become a team and they're more productive at what they do um, and they know each other more and things like that but they can also be used occasionally for things like identifying skills or determining role fit and making sure that you've got the right blend of people in a team and, and stuff like that so what are they well they're activities designed to bring a group of people together so that they do work more effectively over time right they often involve a range of different things but they're about building understanding about how other people work. So I can, you know, for example, if Jane and I had a team building activity, I could start to maybe predict how she'll react to things, understand what her strengths are, know when I go to her, know how she'll react. I'll know when she's at her best and when she's not at her best by the way that she reacts and I'll be better able to work with her. So that's a helpful thing. They also work by aligning commonality of purpose. So they help us understand that we're all trying to get to the same place and and that that's a good thing and that we'll support each other getting there. Um, they often create a sort of shared identity, um, which is helpful, right? It builds bonds between people, so you're willing to work a bit harder. Um, and they create a common history as well. And that common history that you have with other people makes it easier for you to connect with them. You've just got those backstories. You can have your little in-joke that makes life a little bit easier for you somehow. And the, the last thing I was going to say is that they do this piece around revealing people's strengths and skills, um, which makes it easier to work with people as well. And if you get it right, they build motivation. So that's the kind of stuff in there. Uh, when are they useful? Well, I think they're essential for any newly formed team. So if you're building a team from scratch, absolutely the right thing to do. If you're merging teams, right thing to do. I'd even say if you're maybe a new leader in a team, it's a great way to get involved because you can reveal things about yourself and start to understand people more there. So that's the sort of new team and building up when it's new. Personally, I actually think that they should be used as a way to maintain working relationships as well. I think investing time and giving people the opportunity to speak to each other and get to know each other more and in deeper ways uh, is excellent for maintaining the effectiveness of your team. And if you do it regularly, you can really deepen the strength of your team. So I I think they should be used fairly often. Um, How do they work? Well, as as we said, they strengthen relationships between people, they reveal skills, they build pride, they build that sense of common purpose. Um, Generally speaking, the more people know each other and have those common experiences and aligned purpose, the more effective they become at communicating with each other, the better they are at reading each other, and the more they want to support each other. So team building activities work by creating activities or environments that force people, or more nicely, I guess, allow or enable people to accelerate the building of shared histories, of overcoming challenges, of understanding and, and creating opportunities for everyone to contribute to what you're doing. So that's kind of how they work. I you, think we should keep the word force, by the way. Yeah, I, force. Think, I think even people who enjoy them quite often will say they feel certainly constricted into them. Yeah, they're, they're a bit forceful at times. Yeah. Um, j- just interestingly, I'd just yeah. like to get your thoughts on um, what are the pros and cons of team building activities that have been designed from within the group or from representative in the group versus someone coming in? Because I do think there's a difference. Yeah, yeah, there's a difference. I think there are advantages to both. How's mm-hmm. that for a fence-sitting answer? I think... Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, so I think for things internal, some of the things I like about internal is that you can learn a little bit more about the specifics of what you do or you can make it uh, activities a little bit more tailored 
to some of the messages or underlying things that you're trying to develop within a team. So I think that's great. Um, at the same time, I think externally driven or organized team building events provide energy and the sort of neutrality of composition, if that makes sense, is a really helpful thing because there's no presupposition about what people will like. You can get things that are more uncomfortable, you know, which helps people reveal a little bit more about themselves and puts people maybe under more pressure. Um, so I think there's some benefits to this. Yeah, well. I think, so for me, there's a really interesting point around, I understand absolutely why you might do it internally, um, and that's really helpful, but then what you end up, and I've seen it consistently, is where um, members of an existing team misunderstand what other people might like in their team, yeah. or, or drive it in a way they, they want to drive it. Yeah. Um, and I've also seen where external facilitators, the entire team has united not against the facilitator, but that's, half the but that's what times, the yeah. neutrality yeah, yeah. is yeah. creating a bond of going, we're all in this together, and this yeah. guy's an idiot. But yeah, yeah, yeah. we've got some to, guy here making us. He's asking me to a make a pair of shoes yeah. out of you know sticky tape. Yeah. Fine, let's just do it and get on with it and make the best yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah. But common and enemies are powerful. Things. Yeah, they're under fire, right? Yeah. So I, for me, that that use of external facilitation, it, it's easier to get it right. Yeah. Would be what I'd say. Yeah. One thing we didn't talk on talk about there was cost, right? So yeah. internal, predominantly free external can be very expensive yes that is true and also it, just to be a quick warning if you are in a position of authority and it's internal chances are those internal people are going to in some way look to engage the senior leaders yeah. stroke you know make them a enjoyable moment of ridicule yes because why wouldn't you yeah okay so that's a little bit around how they work um in terms of what groups they work in i i think they they can work in small groups they can work in really large groups for me they tend to be best in smaller or more medium groups because it's just easier to build relationships with a smaller number of people at one time and get that commonality of purpose. So, so I, I think that's where I target them. I know you've you've done them in some really large numbers, haven't you? Like I've I've done them and I've also experienced them in in sort of not I've not I've seen I've heard and seen videos of them done with like thousands. Okay, but I've only done them in the hundreds. But yeah. I've, I've seen it done quite effectively, and I think what probably what I took from it. And my experience was you learn really, really quickly as a facilitator how easy it is to misinterpret what you're saying and how many different ways that people can take what you're saying. And so when you know you are communicating well, and it's a brilliant communication workshop for anyone to run as an activity to try and get 100 plus people doing the same thing at the same time or understand the instructions in the same way um, is brilliant. Uh, for your communication skills and for making sure that you're being really, really articulate about what you're asking. Yeah. Yeah. So they can work in really large groups, um, but my guidance would be to do them in smaller groups and really think about the size of the team that you need to build. And for me, I'd say really sort of four to 12, four to 20, that kind of size is probably about what I'd go for, for trying to create a a close-knit team. Then in terms of what type of activities they include, well, we, we've touched on the, some of the specific types of things in there, but they tend to cover a couple of different themes. So there's stuff around effective communication as team building, getting to know people as, as a um, team building approach. There's stuff about overcoming a challenge or collaborative problem solving that can be really powerful. Uh, physical activities are often used as well. There's there's a lot of power in combining you know, physical and mental thought that's helpful for team building. And it's a good way to stretch people and get people doing things that are outside of their day-to-day work environment that can be really helpful. Um, and the last one for me is around trust building activities. And some of these are really cheesy. And these are the ones that you, you hear about. You know, everyone stand around in a circle and 
sit on the person behind you's knees or fall off a tree and be caught by people, right? Um, but those things kind of work because they get you a bit scared and it all works out okay. For most people, I'm sure there's some stories where it fails. The story I'm not going to tell you later is about where I saw that go wrong. Okay. Uh, and, and resulted in a twisted ankle. Yeah. Um, you're right. I would say the one thing I would say that is that I think it's, it's important to recognise that team building activities can be done uh, using existing areas of your work. So I have seen really good facilitation uh, with a team on... Uh, there's a great one that I've seen done uh, where you say to the team, right, you've got... We're going to give you a £1,000 and we're really going to give it to you as a team. Yeah. And you can change one thing about the way you work using that £1,000. Yeah. And you can do anything. And if you want to split it six ways, then you're all getting after tax not a lot of money. Yeah. But you can do anything you want. You can decorate your office. You can make yourself more... Yeah, and and, and then facilitate them through that process of deciding how they're going to do it, and I've seen that being incredibly yeah, that sounds like a good one actually, yeah. Um, but it's mu- it is much harder to do. Yeah. Cool. So that's team building. Uh, the last area we were going to touch on was energizers. Not bunnies. Not no, not energizer bunnies. That's a that's a battery joke for those of you not in Britain. Yeah. Okay. So what are energizers? So they're activities designed to bring energy to a group of people. We used the word vitality at the beginning in the definition, and I think that's right. Um, When are they useful? Well, they're actually used at more strategic points in the day, and quite often people will decide that they'll put in an energizer after lunch in an all-day session, or maybe, you know, partway through the morning when they're two hours into something quite heavy and think people will be starting to, to drift off a little bit. And that's really what their purpose is. It's, it's trying to make sure that people remain you know, vital and active and thinking and engaged. Um, so using them in those predictable points, is, points in the day is helpful. But also as a facilitator, you probably want to have one or two in your back pocket, if you will, and use them when you sense that you need to use them, right? You kind of read the room and you decide, actually, you can see people starting to zone out a little bit, people are getting a bit quieter, body language is a bit saggier. Maybe you want to chuck something out there and get everybody a bit active so that you get more contribution. Yeah, I would definitely have a couple of generic energizers that can be used within an activity. Yeah. So if you sense they're not getting it or you sense they don't really care about the activity you're doing, having a couple of ways of refreshing it so that they can just get back into it. So one of the ones that I've talked about doing is the minute challenge. So you're doing a 30 minute exercise. Yeah. And then you inter- you interrupt it in inverted commas for a one minute challenge to bring your best idea so far forward and stick it on the yeah. wall. And it's just that way of getting everyone moving around the room. Yeah, yeah. And you can do other little micro things like that. If you're delivering different content, you can tailor your content just a little bit and say, okay, well now we need everybody to stand up and find somebody new and speak to a new person or something that gets people moving and forces everybody to engage a little bit. Um, how do they work? They generally work by engaging people in new, energetic, focused activity. And everyone needs to be involved, really. And it can be physical activity if it's the right type of environment, or sometimes mental activity works as well. So putting people on the spot, anything that that gets their heart rate up a little bit, gets their their body going um, so that they're more engaged. That's really how they work. Um, And a key point is that you try and get everybody involved so that the collective energy in the room rises. What kind of groups do they work in? Well, they work in all sizes. So, you know, energizers are one of those things. You could do an energizer for two people. Um, 
I guess. <laughs> and Or you could do it for five people or ten people. And you see Energizer's done. Uh, I guess examples would be maybe stadiums, right? Well, if you, Mexican Wave. A Mexican the Wave. ultimate yeah. Energizer when the crowd are waiting. They're yeah. bored, uh, they're what restless, are we going to do? Someone starts a Mexican Wave, 60,000 people yeah, are engaged the whole time, even yeah. though they're only standing up for a minute at a time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great example of a large-scale Energizer. Uh, what type of activities do they include? They take a huge form. Uh, as we've alluded to, a lot of them involve some type of physical activity because it gets people going. Um, and those that don't involve that tend to involve a bit of spoken interaction. Um, so really, that's kind of my high-level take on energizers. Have you got any other thoughts on energizers? No, I, I, uh, I say no. Yes, two. <laughs> no, One but very yes. specifically is... Uh, as with all things with facilitation, but I see it most go wrong with energizers is think about inclusivity within the room. So Absolutely. Be really conscious. So I've, I've seen workshops that have been brilliant all day and then someone's thrown in an energizer and they just haven't thought that they've got someone with mobility issues yeah. or they've got one with some sight impairment. And they've thought about it the whole day yeah. and then they've gone for a stock standard energizer that just doesn't work. Yeah. And it, it can completely deflate the room. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. Um, so that's one thing. And... Um, the other thing is never, ever underestimate the power of prizes. Absolutely. In energizers. People love, love prizes. And I, I mean, it, it, I'm talking about a, it might be a penny suite. Yeah, yeah, It doesn't yeah. matter. Yeah. A pin badge. Yeah. It doesn't matter. If one of the fastest ways of getting people interacting, even if they don't think they know the answer, they start, nest, you know, they're nudging each other and they're going, you know, you know. Mm. And I think... Um, uh, never underestimate. I always have with me various different types of food and non-food prizes. Yeah. Just in case. And if you know what, I'll eat them on the way home. Yeah, yeah, them. yeah, But they're always worth. And and be plentiful. Don't, yeah. don't be mean with them. Yeah, be plentiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's no, Team prizes. And don't get hung up on the rules. Yeah, it's not about the rules. It's, it, you know, it? don't worry about it if you're giving six treats out or someone disagrees with who won first. It's about... That's yeah. great. If people I was going to say, if they're way, disagreeing, that's, that's, that's good. That's, they're that's engaged. the best place to be. Um, cool. So that's a little bit of a deep dive into icebreakers, team building, and energizers. Hopefully that gives you a bit of insight into, into what's in there. Uh, we've, as ever, decided we're going to do some more podcasts. And one of the things that we're going to do a bit of a, a more of a deeper session on is facilitation itself and running sessions and how to do some of these things in a more practical way. Yeah. Um, but actually, moving on to our list of the week, and we're actually going to do a bit more of that now. So list of the week this week is maybe one one and a half lists we'll see um, mm. but we're going to start with an, a collection of five activities that we think are pretty good as icebreakers or team building activities or energizers and we'll just share them with you and, and reflect on them a little bit yeah and I think there's, a, there's just a slight caveat that there are better ones oh yeah probably out there that I've used, but these are probably the ones that most consistently are easiest to explain and seem to have a good response. Yeah, yeah, a, a good stock of ones to have. In. Particularly if you have got a bit of a mixed room. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we've a tried mix to... of ages and cultures and backgrounds and, yeah, and, yeah. and positions. Right, so we're going to kick off with human rock, paper, scissors. Um, and I think this works pretty well with large groups. You do need people who are fairly active. Yeah. Um, and you effectively create a body pose yeah, yeah rock, yeah. paper or scissors those of you who don't know rock, paper, scissors I'm not sure how I'm going to explain yeah, it to you no, it's but effectively game, right? it's a hand game where you uh, make your uh, fist into a, a ball which is a rock yeah. you do a scissor motion or you do a flat hand which is a paper 
And the idea is to go one, two, three, you pick a pose and uh, there's an order that each yeah, one yeah, everyone yeah, knows. Yeah, yeah. So paper wraps rock, rock blunt scissors and scissors cut paper. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the idea of this is that you, instead of just having, uh, using your hand, use your whole body to yeah. make the shape. Um, and so for the scissors, down. it tends to be like a big Y when I've seen people do it. And then, you know, you crouch down as a ball to be a stone and, you know, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And the way that you were describing it uh, when you've, you've used it and seen it used is around where the, the facilitator or the, the host yeah. plays against the room. Yeah, And I've then people it. sit yeah. down. That works really, really well with huge crowds. Yeah, yeah. So for me, so let's just explain that actually. Do, do you want to explain how that works? Well, so my understanding, yeah. the way I've done it is where I choose a body pose yeah. because then... Firstly, there's a really important bit about me making myself look stupid. You as the really facilitator, stupid. great if you're a senior leader. Or, yeah, yeah. yeah, makes you look stupid straight away. Yeah. Everyone relaxes. Um, and effectively, I choose a pose. Everyone in the room chooses a pose. Say I choose paper. Yeah. Uh, and everyone in the room, all the people who then choose rock, yeah. have to sit down. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah, paper yeah. wraps rock. Yeah. So and three, two, one, pose. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone pulls a pose and then you can tell everyone how yeah. to sit down. Um, it works really well at scale with some very instru- simple instructions behind you yeah. of what beats what everyone knows what they're doing um, it sounds really boring it, there is a health and safety issue yeah, there is. which is please try and make sure that people have enough space not to yeah, punch each other yeah, in the face yeah. and again able bodied people yeah all that stuff. because when they pull a pose and it's slow and they're thinking about it they don't and then everyone gets excited I have I have seen people get punched in the hip yeah yeah. Um, and it's like an iterative thing isn't it so, yeah. so you're up there as a leader and you do it once, and if you do your paper, then all the rocks in the room need to sit down, and they're out. Yeah. And then you do it again. And the other way I've used it, which I haven't used with massive groups, but mm-hmm. I've used with sort of 30 to 40 people, is where you play against the person next to you, yeah. and you keep playing against the person oh, next to you, and you just wrap up the number of wins. Oh, right, And okay. after three minutes or four minutes, or even less, you say, yeah. right, everyone who's got more than three wins... Less than three wins sits down. Fine. And what you do is you find the people in the room who've got the most wins. Yeah. You put them against each yeah. other and then eventually you get a room champion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's the same when you're playing against the room. So, you know, you do it the first time and all the papers yeah. sit down. Oh, sorry, all the rocks sit down and you do it again. And then whoever loses to you that time sits down and you keep going until there's only one person left in the room. Yeah. And they, guess what? They get a prize because they like prizes. Yeah. <laughs> Always a prize. Um, but I would say, so for me, the difference is whether you're doing an energizer or an icebreaker approach. So for me, as an energizer, do it against the room because you yeah. can get everyone going really quickly. Yeah, it's quite pumped uh, up. And, and you can control the speed. Whereas when you're trying to get icebreakers, doing it amongst themselves helps yeah, a lot because yeah. everyone kind of goes, this is ridiculous or this is hilarious. Yeah, yeah, what's this silly, yeah. Um, so that's human rock, paper, scissors. And I, I have to say, rock, paper, scissors generally in all forms, I find works really effectively. Yeah. Most people know the rules. If they don't, they're super quick to learn. And, it's simple, right? And, and that's you know, what you want. It's, it's a bit of a laugh. Yeah. No one takes it to No one ever thinks I'm brilliant at rock, paper, scissors. N- no. Well, you can't no, be really. Can. Maybe they I mean, maybe. I don't but, know. And it's good because it puts people in silly positions. And it, anytime you can lower people's dignity a little bit in a public space, it, it kind of helps. Um, break Sometimes I think that's all groups think that facilitators are after lowering of dignity. Yeah. That's a great explanation. Yeah. Okay, do you want to explain world maps and pins? Because it's not one I'm familiar with. Yeah, so I'll touch on world maps and pins. And this one. Um, I find interesting and again it's scalable to different levels so with world maps and pins for a smaller group activity of say I don't know 5 to 12 5 to 20 that kind of number again what what happens is a facilitator will do a bit of prep in advance so a facilitator draws out two maps you draw a map of a country or state that you're in and then you draw a map of a globe 
right? And you put those up on flip charts or on your whiteboards or whatever it happens to be, and you have them in your room ready for when your participants are there. And then partway through, or once your participants arrive, you do a little bit of intro and say, okay, guys, so we're going to do an activity now. And it's about getting to know people a little bit more based on geography. And then what you do is you get everyone to stand up and you give them maybe two post-it notes each or a pen and, you know, an ability to write. And you say, I'd like you to mark two things for me. I'd like you to mark where you're from on either of these maps. And I'd like you to mark another place that's really important to you. And then everybody goes and does that and they, they go up there. And that's most of what you do. Uh, and then everyone kind of sits down and say, OK, so what I'd like to do now is to, to go around the room and have everybody share with the rest of the group a little bit about their first places. So, so tell us a little bit about you know, the place that you were born and tell us about the other place and why that other place is important to you. And then as a facilitator, I tend to lead off. Um, and that's really all you do. And then you just go around the room and everybody talks a little bit about their home, which is helpful, but they also talk about a different place. And you get great stories coming out. You know, I always used to go on holiday here or, you know, I got proposed to here or, you know, my grandmother, who I've always loved, used to live here, my best friends from here, my pen pals from there, you know, things like that. And, and it's just a really good way to get a little bit of personal stuff from the people in the room. Um, and I find this actually really useful as well if you're running sort of multicultural groups, uh, people from different locations. It can be quite a helpful way to, to break down some of those barriers that people have about asking about people from other ethnicities or, you know, with different foreign accents, trying to break down some of those barriers. Um, the, the activity works well for that. Yeah, and I think that's a classic example of if you are in, if you're facilitating a group that is local community that quite possibly have born and brought up and, and grown up in that local community, you're probably going to get less success with that yeah. versus using it in a international company or yeah. with a wider audience, which can be much more effective. And I, I, I agree. I think it's a, a really healthy way of framing what sometimes feel like awkward questions. Yeah. yeah. Where, where are you from? Way. No, no, no. Where are you really from? Oh. Right? All, all those dreadful questions. Yes, right? exactly. Um, and then I've seen it done at a much larger scale in a sort of digital way by creating a digital map of the world and getting people to drop pins based on where they're born. And that's just a really good way to visualize the international nature of a team if it's a large and international team. It can be quite helpful at building those bonds and doing some of those communications. So that's something I, I think is, is a good one. Okay. Uh, um, I'm going to share, if it's okay, yeah. one that I've really enjoyed using over the last couple of years. Um, and it's one that you have to prepare for, which okay. I really like to do. So one of the things I send out when I'm doing team building with a certain type of audience is I will ask them to find one image that uh, will demonstrate a moment they've been proud in their role um, of the work they've done. And then when they get to the room, they'll see a really big wall with a plain white picture frame. Effectively, yeah. it's a scroll of paper, but it's it's huge. And it's kind of the size of, of six flip charts all in a line yep. on a wall. And the idea is that they uh, we put the picture on the screen. I take a picture of it, put it on my phone, put it up on the screen. And then they physically go and take the printout that they've got and put it up on the wall. So that for the rest of the day, we've got this like wall of people's proud right. moments. Almost a memory wall type of yeah, thing. Yeah. And it's like, it, it, A, it helps people understand really quickly. B, it gets people to prepare, which I like because I think it's useful. Um, but also... It's astonishing how quickly people thaw out when they understand that actually everyone's got something they're proud of. Yeah. As a facilitator, it's really useful. Yeah. So when people come in and uh, talk about... I, I've got one guy who brought in a photo, a screenshot of his CRM, CRM targets being hit, right? Okay. And, that, 
and just instantly I understand a little bit more about yeah, that yeah, person about and how, what's and... going to motivate him in the day versus someone else who brings in um, the actual thank you letter that the CEO received yeah, about yeah. their customer service Fine. and these are just different things but yep. it's really really helpful and I think also it raises everyone's value in the room yep. because everyone can see actually these people do care about their jobs and it's important and this might be a difficult conversation but there's still something yeah everybody's got some investment so the pride exercise is one of my favourite we also then take a photo of that and we can put it up on social media right. we can give send an email to them so it's a little bit of a memory yeah and I really like that I, yeah, I it's like got that legacy to it, it I love that I yeah. love when you've been to a workshop and uh, the best thing I've ever done I've only done it once um, was where I had the mailing addresses of their home address and we posted oh, them yeah. a postcard yeah, yeah, yeah. of that picture yeah. and said thanks for coming along and, and contributing yeah, and I think I think it cost us what 50 quid, 50 pounds. And yeah, we got more responses about that, getting something through the mail that, you know. Yeah, great impact. Yeah, so that's my favorite. Cool. All right, um, I'm going to touch on one which I've called weekend chairs, which is just what it's called, right? Or what I call it. And this one is, it comes with a bit of a health warning. It's just a little bit hectic. (laughs) Love a hectic one. (laughs) Um, And it's really a combination of team building and energizing. And it's just a bit of fun, really. But it's, it's basically musical chairs, right? And you know musical chairs works by having not quite enough chairs, some music plays. When it stops, everyone needs to sit down. If you're not sitting down, then you're kind of out, right? That, I believe that's how it works. Mm-hmm. So weekend chairs... Um, it's does, not something I play every day, James. No, you it. sound like an expert, <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, I mean, you'll find the rules. <laughs> we really need someone with nine-year-old children <laughs> in this room right answer. now. Um, so that's, that's the way musical chairs works and weekend chairs is a bit of a take on that but for a team environment and you need people who are able-bodied and energetic and willing to give it a bit of a go and what you do is you set up a room in advance and you just make sure that there is one less chair than there are people and you can have desks and tables in there if you want some obstacles for people or you can have an open room and what you do is you as facilitator start it off and you introduce a couple of rules and basically what you say is I'm going to start off this round Um, And what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you an activity that I either did last weekend or something that I'm going to do next weekend, right? Um, And everyone's standing up at at that point. And then what happens is you say the activity. And if anyone in the room has done or is planning to do the the same activity, then they're allowed to sit down right away, right? Um, And you kind of get get everyone into a a bit of an open space before you do that. Um, So the people who've done or are going to do the same activity, they sit down. And then everybody else is in the middle. And then as soon as everybody sat down, everyone has to run around and try and find a chair. Right? So then it's, it's at that point that it becomes a bit of a scrabble for your chairs. And then whoever's left standing, they need to become the facilitator for the next round. So they're sitting there, or actually they're not sitting, or they're, they're stood there, standing there, and they need to share something about themselves. And then they share, and then again people sit down, and everybody else fights for chairs, and then you repeat it again. And if you do it quite quickly, it can become really quite energetic and people kind of laugh and bump into each other and it can become a little bit raucous. And what's good is it it brings that energy, but also everyone's saying what they're doing and talking about what they did this weekend. And there's a light version of that, which is just really quickly around the table. What's everyone doing this weekend? What are you looking looking forward to most this weekend? Everybody says a thing and that's a way to get to know people. Um, But it's, it's often more fun to do it with that energetic environment. But... It can be a bit dangerous, right? I mean, it just can be. 
I think there's a real judgment around the kind of group you're in and the room yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah. But I, I, I do think there is occasion where those things can be absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and, and it's surprising it who's right. interested or who wants to give it a go. You know, some people that you wouldn't think would give it a go get kind of excited. So There is the only thing in... in my entire history of facilitation that I am absolutely convinced of is that I am always surprised by just how competitive people that I'm not yeah. expecting to be competitive are. Yeah, you find you know, the right he- thing. Heels come off yeah. with people that I am just not expecting yeah. and sleeves go up and skirts get tucked in and, you know, I just, I think it's quite entertaining, always. Okay, so last one, I'm going to try and explain but I might have to look to you because I know oh, this yeah. is one that you've uh, you've used. Um, and I'm fascinated by it. It's called, it's called Draw Your Vegetable, which for a start, I think, is genius. And effectively, the idea is it works really well with smallish teams. 8 to 20 works really well. Um, and it's also quite a good get to know you. So you give everyone a bit of pen, uh, some pens and uh, a piece of paper. And they all have to think about what vegetable they would be if they were a vegetable and why they'd be that vegetable, right? Which is already a nonsense question. But at least it's acknowledging the nonsense yeah. in the room. And it's kind of the ice... ice To me, it's the icebreaker for people who ate icebreakers. Yeah. Um, and you ask them to draw a picture of that vegetable, which again, hugely hilarious because most people can't draw vegetables. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and there's always one person who's doing an artistic impression. Yeah. Um, and then you get broken into pairs and you have to share your vegetable drawing with the other person and have that conversation about why you've chosen that vegetable and why you've done the drawing that way and then ask people... Uh, to explain their partner's yeah, vegetable. that's right. Which is a real play on actually one of my most hated icebreakers, which is the really boring and straightforward speak to your partner, find out a bit about them, and then tell. Because for a start, apart from anything else, you usually get their name wrong or pronounce yeah, it wrong. Yeah, or you so forget it, you're so like worried yeah, about Yeah, you panic and you're like, stuff. I can't remember what their job is. Yeah. Um, so I really, really like the vegetable game. Um, yeah. And I haven't done it, but I'm definitely going to Yeah, do it. it's fun, and it's just silly. And what you get at the end is you get somebody, you know holding up a piece of paper saying yeah this is uh this is frank frank's a potato the reason that frank's a potato is because he thinks he's well-rounded and you know a little bit earthy or whatever it happens to be and it's just it's silly and people giggle a little bit but you also get to know people and it it reduces the tension in the room and helps people share things about themselves and i think i think that's part of the thing particularly around icebreakers it's about if you can acknowledge we're all poking fun and we understand it's a necessary evil like i I said earlier i think suddenly it becomes so much yeah when people let go of their esteem a little bit and relax a little bit so we could go that list could be forever but um those are just five activities that we've got experience with we, we were going to do an honourable mention, weren't we, for five activities that we're not so keen on. Yeah. Um, so should we just do a very quick whistle Yeah, okay, stop? okay. Why don't you whistle So I will start with spaghetti and marshmallows, um, yeah. which is basically where you give uh, groups of people uh, a bag of spaghetti and some marshmallows and they have to be, build the biggest tower possible. Um, I think they might get sellotape. I can't remember. You can. There's all kinds of things. There's you all, kind of, there's all can kind of examples, right? The bottom line is that um, it always takes long, too long and people uh, it always collapses before you get to measure Mm -hmm. someone always cheats and someone feels uncomfortable and there is always someone in the room going is this actually helpful to anyone yeah and unless you are architects which absolutely caveat possibly that's appropriate I consistently consistently have had more awkward situations and more discomfort and more disengagement where two people have got involved and then three people are just left out of it yeah Yeah. they're really competitive people take charge People are just like, I'm not doing this, it's not relevant, and yeah. I don't understand. And it's one of those things where it just often doesn't feel fair. 
somehow it just it doesn't feel fair unfair. and also it feels contrived it feels yeah. really contrived yeah, um, yeah. and suddenly you're left and also the worst part of it is you are left with these oh, five structures yeah. or six structures sitting in the room and they're sort of keeling over and little broken bits of oh, spaghetti and everywhere and, like, you, yeah. and it takes materials yeah, yeah okay. and then someone's already eaten the marshmallows so yeah that's my personal number one um, do you want to talk about creeping death yeah so creeping death is the phrase that's used for that activity at the start of a session where you say something and then the person to your side says the same thing and then it just keeps going around and everybody needs to eventually say stuff um, and basically everyone's waiting to to hear um, waiting for their turn to speak and they don't listen to anyone else so, so the way it tends to work as, a, as an icebreaker is you'll tend to go into room and be like hi everybody so we're going to do whatever activity it is today but first off an icebreaker what I, what I want you to do is I want you to think about an interesting fact about yourself and then we'll go around the room and say it so you know person starts off and then they know that the person after them needs to say an interesting fact and the person after them does and I find this a dreadful exercise for several reasons um, firstly I think it's lazy as a facilitator right it's just boring and it's lazy and you can do better um, number two interesting right I mean that's multiple things one it's subjective and two it puts pressure on the person to think of something every single time I've ever been asked that question my mind goes blank and I think I am the least interested person. Yeah. I end up trotting out the same fact which makes me sound like an idiot. Yeah. Because I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to say that's interesting? I don't know, I met the Queen. Yeah. And then I just, that's it, I freeze, that's yeah. the only one I can think of. And there's pressure. And everyone's like, that's not interesting. Yeah. Like, I know, I yeah. absolutely, yeah. hands up. And, and you can fail instantly, and then you're immediately being judged. You create an yeah. opportunity for everyone you've to said judge it's interesting. you. Yeah. And so you get that sort of conflict and judging yeah. right away. So I don't like that. And the, the last point I don't like is everybody's so busy thinking about their own thing and about how dreadful it's going to be and how uninteresting it's going to be that they, um, but they don't listen to anything else that they do. I did, I did one where, I, <laughs> where somebody told me that they could identify like 58 varieties of potato. Right? And then, <laughs> right? <laughs> great. <laughs> Which is great. It's but, a lovely skill to have. It's lovely. But the person after them was also a potato specialist <laughs> who could actually identify more potatoes. Were you working with people who work in the food <laughs> no, industry? No, I wasn't. Okay, Bizarre. It was okay. just funny, and maybe so they we, were yeah, joking. I, I anyway. think universally, creeping death is a panic. A panic facilitator hasn't prepped. It's lazy, yeah. lazy, and you can do better, right? If yeah. you're out there and you're listening, you can just do better than that. So the next one's pretty controversial, but uh, I cannot stand something called uh, the rope knot, or quite often it's the hand tie. So where you have tied people together in a certain way with a piece of string, and they have to untangle themselves. I think it's incredibly intrusive people's uh, personal space. Yeah. Um, I think you're making huge judgments about how clever you are to get out of a situation. Um, and uh, I, I just, I, I'm going to say it again. I think it's really intrusive for people's personal space when you tie someone to someone else. It's just not acceptable now. No. You know, I, then, I would say, I, I wouldn't And I even wouldn't when there. it was, because I'm old and I remember when it, it would have mm-hmm. been considered, in inverted commas, acceptable... It still wasn't fun. Yeah. Because, you know, you type to someone you didn't know and then you spent the rest of the afternoon going, oh, this is really awkward, aren't yeah. And yeah, then yeah. It's, it's just, it's, we talk about, you know, breaking down social barriers. That's just puts them up. Yeah. It's straight away. Yeah. Puts it gets people's back up yeah. and it's just a little bit yeah. too intimate. You can be, you can have your esteem broken down. You can, you know, break down some barriers, but. But let me do it in my own space. Yeah. <laughs> and just careful with the intimacy. Yeah. Uh, um, any, any others? We've got room for one more. Uh, we've got room for one more. So there's one that, again, it can be good, but it can be a little bit wrong if you get it wrong. 
And this is um, this is a sort of get to know you bingo is oh. the type of thing I'd say. Oh, I know what you're. Yeah, to. yeah. So I've 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 played get to know you bingo a couple of times as a uh, attendee. Yeah. And at best, it, you don't really get to know anyone because you can't remember who signed up. For yeah. it. So the idea is that you get ten or fifteen things on a bingo card, and you've got to go and find people who've had that experience. So it might be at its most basic uh, has a family member called Jane. And yeah. you have to find someone who, who's got yeah. family Yeah, and, and like you, you do pre-work, right? So if yeah. you have a facilitator, what you do is you'll email out or write to everybody, whatever, send them a, a carrier pigeon, asking them for a unique thing. Oh, that's, or, if, that's if you're good at it. If you're good, yeah. Okay. And you get those in and there you put them on a grid. There are standard ones. Like, oh, right. Yeah, oh, have that's a family boring. member called Peter. And right. you just I didn't have to like hope it. someone yeah, has I didn't, got it. I didn't like it and I didn't even think of it no. as a standard no, 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 thing. No, 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 no. It was a bespoke, a luxury but one. But then I have also attended bespoke ones about really inappropriate subjects. So the most, yeah. the worst I've ever been to, and I, I caveat this with, the facilitator was great. I, I know what they were trying to do. It just didn't feel comfortable. Yeah. And it was when we were talking about uh, welfare. So uh, it was for a bunch of welfare officers. And I understand that it is very challenging being a welfare officer. I used to be a welfare officer with a new sport. Um, but the the first ten minutes playing welfare bingo was uh, basically really uh, quite serious situations. List of fifteen, and we had to go and find people who'd had experience of that situation. Fine. And I just wasn't ready to disclose that. Yeah, I was sitting in a situation where someone was saying to me, "So, have you uh, ever been the welfare officer in a case of X, Y, and Z?" And I'm sitting there going, "I don't want to tell you that yet yeah. because we don't. I don't know yeah. you." And yeah. it was really quite a challenging period of my career yeah and i'm not ready thanks to disclose that so i just kind of went mm, maybe yeah yeah and then suddenly of course someone this. goes oh tell me about that and i'm like no yeah yeah um so yeah really bad i get i totally get they were trying yeah. to get us to fast track to understand we were all in the room together with people who'd had tough challenges yeah. it wasn't right yeah it didn't you feel can go right. too deep too and far we did, yeah too deep too far yeah so those are those were our uh, list of five not so good cool um, one thing I just want to touch on just before we go on is when we talked about drawing drawing your vegetable um, there's a, a little variation you might want to look up there's a thing called drawing your pig right and you can get everyone to draw a picture of a pig and if you look on the internet there's a made up thing about what that means so everyone draws their pig and then uh, there's some guidance around what your drawing of a pig tells you about you right so if it's facing left it means you're a forward looking thinker if it's facing right it means you're Cautious yeah, you were, you were telling me about this. I'm yeah. totally googling this. Yeah. It so check it out. It's it's really silly. It's totally bogus, um, but it's quite fun. Okay, so we spent quite a lot of time talking about hopefully some really practical goods and and maybe also some lots of goods uh, within icebreakers, team building, and energizers. I guess this is the point we normally give you practical examples of stories from the keyboard, yeah. or in this case, stories from the front of the room. Yeah, that yeah, is normally yeah. where you're sitting. Um, and I guess my very light-hearted one would be um, just never, ever underestimate what can happen in a room. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we were once playing a icebreaker. It was quite a physically active icebreaker, and it was where you had a ball. Okay. Uh, and it was like the beach ball size. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was actually a volleyball because <laughs> the beach ball hadn't been available, and we broke a window. Yeah. It was so funny. We did one with um with actual beach balls. Right, yeah. um, and it was how, how long can you keep a beach ball up? Yeah, and somebody hit it, and it went up and dislodged ceiling panels. Oh no! So ceiling panels came down, and these are like you know the metal grill ones, and it was okay. Nobody was hurt, but somebody could have been really, really badly imaged. And okay, so we broke, health and safety. Yeah, but we, yeah. both we broke that, yeah. we broke a window. Yeah, and so we had to move rooms. Yeah, and it was just honestly, if you ever look back and think, 
Why did I do it? Yeah. I knew I didn't have the right equipment. Yeah. I should have just changed the activity. I panicked. I wasn't ready for changing the activity. Yeah. So I went, it'll be fine. And I watched in slow motion as this window smashed. Yeah in this very large very fancy office and everyone just looked at me on the plus side man did it break the ice <laughs> it was the most yeah, effective yeah. icebreaker ever so that's my uh, my story yeah okay um, I guess just a general reflection from me is it's just surprising how engaged people can get in them so that's just really my, my reflection on it you know you do these things and you never know who's going to get involved you never know who's going to warm to them. You can have the most quiet, unassuming person there and you chuck out a slightly competitive activity. And like you said, I mean, you talked about heels off and things like that. I've seen um, large, portly gentlemen who I could have sworn hadn't moved much in years suddenly be up and running around and really actively engaged. And um, You have to be super careful, right? Yeah, but I, I think that's great, right? So, you know, just give it a go and see, see what happens. Um, so that's really my only reflection there so okay. any any sort of final thoughts or tips from you uh, I've got some top tips um, because these are things that really steered me right uh, one is uh, when you're doing an exercise if you've got a screen have the instructions on the screen if you don't have a screen write the instructions on a flip chart um, there is nothing that derails a workshop quicker than people getting the wrong end of the stick or misinterpreting what the instructions were or jumping ahead yeah um, and then suddenly you get to feedback stage and people are like sharing something that's completely not yeah, but like, so and everyone else looks in the room and goes oh my god have we done it wrong yeah, 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 yeah. so number one is always do that uh, second um, if you are doing something where you've got an audience that you're not 100% sure how they're going to respond to while they're doing the discussion particularly if you're asking them to discuss something um, like a little bit personal like they're sharing information try and make eye contact if it's a reasonable size room with every single person and just get a sense of are they in discomfort? Are they comfortable making eye contact with you? Because you will get a very quick understanding if they're It's a good way to eyes. read a room, isn't it? It's a really good way to read the room and it's really easy to forget. So particularly if you as a facilitator are five minutes in and you're like, oh, mm. oh, oh, I'm done and this is great. And then you put the room to work in their activity and you yeah. think, phew, that's me done. Mm, mm. And actually what you miss is that there's a pair over there who really don't look yeah. like they're having a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's the second one and um, my third tip which will be probably obvious from the activities that I was describing earlier is I really encourage where you possibly can to get attendees to do a piece of prep and I don't mean something labour intensive something fun that they can do on the journey Mm -hmm. on their phone in the 15 minutes take a picture or even if they get there 10 minutes earlier so it might be take a picture it might be find a picture it might be um you know, think of a word that you think would most explain you or how your friends would describe it. It could be really simple. They should be able to do it in 10 minutes. But A, it gets them thinking about the workshop before they yeah. come. B, it might get them a little bit excited. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and at worst, you are then being playing with an even keel because what you will always end up with in a room is some people who like prep. They like to feel ready. And yeah, So those are, those are my top three. And it helps them visualise being there anyway, which gets them... Hugely. Part right hugely. All right, well, I've got two that I'm going to check out as top tips. Um, the first one is that you should give these activities a go in existing teams as well. So if you're running a team, you know, if you've got a, a smallish type team, anytime you have a team meeting, I'd bring some of this stuff in. I think it's really worth dedicating five minutes of an hour's meeting, you know, maybe 10 minutes of a two hour meeting within your, your individual team to activities like this. It just breaks the ice at the beginning. It reaffirms relationships. It warms people up. And if you give it a go and you do it reasonably well, then you'll have a much more productive 
session. People will be more relaxed, more willing to share, more communicative. And I actually think they're, they're kind of more creative as a result. You know, people relax, they unwind. And I think that helps creativity if you're doing anything like problem solving. Um, so I would I would try and do that at the start of every session. And I think I think that's really interesting. So I was just telling James before that I've been watching some videos from uh, Trello, which is a mm-hmm. task management app, and they're talking about how they work. And they are really clear that, particularly when they're having remote meetings, yeah. how important it is still to do these activities yeah. and bring people together. Because actually you need it even more to make people feel like they're yeah. in the room together. Yeah. Um, and they talk about particularly um, icebreakers and that sort of initial warming up the meeting when you're on, on the screen and getting everyone involved. Yeah. You should never go, in my mind, straight into the content of the meeting. I think that just leads to a worse meeting than if you do anything. Even if you just let people chat for a bit, have a couple jokes, do whatever whatever it takes, but don't rush right in. Um, And the second sort of hint or tip I I had was, you know, we talk about these energy as icebreakers, um, and we, we talk throughout this as facilitators delivering them ourselves. One thing I'd say as a tip is look for a volunteer. So particularly if you're facilitating an individual team or group, it's worth asking, if you can in advance, is there anybody that wants to run an icebreaking session? Is there anybody that wants to run a, a team building activity in there? And if so, grab them and try and go with it. Um, and you need to review what they're suggesting and think about it. And you've got you know, the ultimate say on it. But if you bring somebody in, then one, they really want to do it. Two, it's an opportunity for them within the team. And three, they've got some of that social capital already established with other people in the group that'll just help smooth it on a little bit. So I'd really recommend doing that. And of course, it reduces the effort on you as well. Well, so I'm not I'm not sure about the last one because I'm not sure it always does reduce the effort. But what I would say is we used to, uh, when I worked for a small non-profit, we used to uh, get the uh, most recently started intern or sort of most junior member of staff to do it. Because everyone pulls for them. Yes. Everyone yeah. wants it to work. So yeah. where they're looking at the CEO or an external facilitator and going, oh, yeah. this is a day out of my office and I've got work to do. Um, instead, they're looking at this yeah. person and seeing it as part of their development. And they're like, yes, we really want her to do well. And we'll do well. Yeah, that's a great chat. And, and when I've had volunteers, they've never been senior people. No. They've been, you know, newish, youngish yeah, people yeah. to the teams. And, and so. Cool. So that's it. So that's our kind of final thoughts. Uh, checking out. Until, uh, until next time. It's, uh, it's a bit of a goodbye from me. Yeah, goodbye from me. And we'll see you soon. Hi, thanks for listening to this episode of the World of Work podcast. To learn more about what we do, please check out our website, www.worldofwork.io, where you can read some great articles, learn more about the seminars and courses that we deliver, or even support us if you wish through our Patreon page. That's www.worldofwork.io. Thank you.